This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This is America Changed Forever from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Jeff Begay's filling in for Gil Gross. On this episode of America Changed Forever, I'll be interviewing some of the country's top cyber minds and together... We're going to examine the ransomware attack that had millions of people scrambling to fill up their cars with gas. Hackers crippled Colonial Pipeline's operations along the East Coast. The hackers essentially held the company and millions of people hostage to their demands. The pipeline runs 5,500 miles from Texas all the way up the eastern seaboard. It supplies 45% of the East Coast energy, delivers fuel to seven major airports, military installations, and millions of gallons of fuel for businesses. All of that disrupted by a shadowy hacking group called DarkSide. U.S. investigators believe the group operates from Russia. Jim Lewis is the senior vice president and director of the Strategic Technologies Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Jim, thanks for being with us. So, obviously, we're, we're talking about the pipeline hack. These hacking groups are, are difficult to bring to justice because they're often doing this kind of thing overseas. Are there some countries, Jim, that support this kind of ransomware hacking? It's, it's not that they're difficult to bring to justice, it's that they're impossible to bring to justice. And that's because most of them are Russian. Russia is a sanctuary for cybercrime. And that sounds a little harsh, but if, if you like irony, uh, one of the rules, the Russian government tolerates cybercriminals. And one reason they do it is they have rules, you know, share the wealth, do us a favor when we ask, and don't hack Russian sites. So a lot of malware now has, uh, when it's installed on your computer, it automatically checks to see if you're speaking Russian. And if you are, the attack cancels itself. <laughs> so Really? Yeah, that's, that's our main problem is the, the Russians just don't wanna play ball. And so as long as these folks stay in Russia, they are completely safe from prosecution. And so when the Biden administration talks tough, says that, you know, we're gonna, we're going to track these people down. Uh, they really have very few levers to pull to get some cyber criminal out of Russia. You know, every once in a while, one of them makes a mistake. There's a famous case of a big hacker. And, and this case is an interesting one because it shows the ties between the Russian government and the hacker community. This hacker's uncle was the chairman of the National Security Committee in the Duma, the Russian parliament. Mm. Um, couldn't talk about closer ties, but he made a mistake. He flew 
flew to the Maldives with his girlfriend for a vacation and the Maldivians called up the FBI and said, hey, guess what? <laughs> so he's in jail, he's at Club Fed. Uh, the Russians actually send notices to their citizens saying, be careful when you travel abroad because you could be extradited. Uh, there isn't a lot we can do if you wanna use traditional law enforcement methods. There are other things we can do, but you'd have to decide to be a little more aggressive. There's a lot of talk about hardening critical infrastructure so that this kind of thing doesn't happen again. But what I hear you saying is that in some ways these ransomware attacks are almost impossible to stop. Is that accurate? You know, we've been talking about hardening pipelines for more than a decade. And so there's a little bit of shame on us for not having done anything. We, we have voluntary guidelines right? So you can do it, you cannot do it, it's kind of up to you. And that just doesn't work anymore. Um, you can do things that make it harder to be hacked. And the entry point here for ransomware is always they have to get into your network to be able to take control, to encrypt data, to send you the ransom note, right? And there's things you could do, uh, authentication, multi-factor authentication like your bank uses, encrypting data at rest, uh, thinking about having backups. So there's things you can do that lower the risk, but you're right, Jeff, you can't eliminate the risk. And that is because most of the successful hacks still rely on a technique called phishing. You send a thousand people an email that says, click here to see next year's bonus. And by goodness, you can count on at least 10 of them clicking. And once they click, you're in. So we can reduce the incidents, we can't stop them. That seems like the oldest trick in the book, even though to a lot of people, these cyber attacks are, are a new thing, it seems. But these, this, these phishing attempts, uh, it seems like the oldest trick in the book, but yet you're saying people still fall for it. To quote a line from one of the Terminator movies, I'm old, I'm not obsolete. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's exploiting human psychology. It's exploiting not the machine, not the code, but your brain. And if you get the, the message right, people will fall for it. It's funny, even at some of the big uh, cybersecurity companies, because they run tests on phishing, their own employees will fall for it. So it's just hard. When you see that thing, click here to see ugliest Christmas sweater uh, <laughs> in the company. Um, and if you send it to enough people, some of them will click. It sort of makes sense that you're a, a fan of the Terminator movies. Uh, <laughs> as futuristic as those movies looked back in the day. Uh, so what do you think is the future in this country in terms of uh, cyber hygiene, if you will? This, this executive order, some of those things again, to me, seem elementary because five years ago or three years ago when uh, cyber officials in this country were talking about protecting your computer systems and your networks, it was always about having a backup password and, and things like that, um, you know, double authentication, which uh, every bank seems to do now. Uh, it's important, but it's, uh, it can be annoying. Um, so, so what they're recommending are, are sort of these tried and true tips from the past. Sad but true. Uh, I was talking to a former 
senior NSA official and said to him, we were looking at the draft of the executive order. And I said, didn't, didn't we recommend this five years ago? And his answer was, we recommended this when there were two people on the internet. So yeah, the, the problem is not only Russian hackers have a sanctuary, the problem is we don't seem to get people to take cybersecurity seriously. We've been trying for a long time. And you're right, this is all basic stuff that's been around for years and people still aren't doing it. And it's not just Russian hackers, right? You're seeing other countries get into the game, other criminal organizations get into the game in other parts of the world, Iran, China, and probably some uh, countries that I haven't mentioned. The the difference is that uh, those are usually state hackers. The Iranians have a flourishing cybercrime market. The Chinese have a flourishing cybercrime market, but of course, if you're a Chinese hacker, I got to talk to a couple of them a few years ago, and they basically were trying to figure out how they could get out of China. Because if you're a good hacker, you're doing some crime. Um, within a month or so, the Chinese police show up and say, you have a choice. You can work for us or you can go to jail. Uh, and so they're, you know, they're, un they're unhappy. They, they want to get out. It's good for us, I guess, but China, Iran, um, mainly espionage. North Korea, it's state-sponsored cybercrime. These are state agencies. These are intelligence agency employees doing the hacking. In Russia and in parts of Eastern Europe, as you noted, there are independent criminal groups that exist with the tolerance of the state. It's not, not like Vladimir Putin woke up a week ago and said, I want you to hack colonial pipeline. He didn't. But the Russian security services tolerate these people. And so they're, they're in a different category. They're also some of the best in the world, which is the problem for us. But yeah, we have a lot of people out there who are trying to get in and it's still too easy for them. When we come back, I'll be joined by Malcolm Nance, author, former Navy officer and expert let me just say it this way, on hacking operations that disrupt things. If I see a threat, I'm going to call a threat out. And Russia is a strategic peer, near peer uh, adversary. Stay with us. This is America Change Forever. Welcome back to America Change Forever. Malcolm Nance is outspoken about a lot of issues. Over the years, he's become a regular guest on major television shows because he's an author, former naval officer, and commentator who holds no punches when it comes to cyber attacks. Malcolm, you've investigated the election hacks, 2016, the leak of emails. I mean, you've you've you are experienced in covering these issues, but have you ever seen a ransomware attack like this one? that is so dramatically impacted colonial pipeline. Yes, in fact, I have. And this is the warning that we really should have, uh, to, you know, as a clarion call for the United States. A, a hack that was similar to this did occur back in late 27, early 2018, uh, which was carried out by Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps in the same guise, you know, as some sort of vigilante group uh, that was carrying out, they didn't carry out a ransomware attack. They launched a worm. They launched a cyber virus into the Saudi Arabia oil company, Aramco's 
and all of their subsidiaries computer networks. And they, the virus was called the Shamoon virus. That virus incapacitated 30,000 computers. And it bought all of the electronic controls or the computer controls of their oil fields, pipeline networks, all of it into a dead halt. Now, the Saudi system is a little dated, right? I mean, we all know it's the you know, greatest oil power in the, in the world. Uh, so they could operate things manually. Uh, for for a short time. But what's interesting is that they turned all those computers essentially into bricks. They made them um, uh, useless. And the Saudis had to actually buy a Chinese factory to manufacture all the computers that they needed and fly them over to get that system back in operation. What's different between that one and this is that this was a ransomware attack and supposedly from Russian cyber criminals. The Saudi attack was designed not just to turn the Saudi oil company, uh, which is their entire national industry, right, into a dysfunctional pieces of plastic. But in fact, the virus would have tripped levers and controls, which would have caused explosions all along the pipelines and in their oil fields. So it was an actual material attack against Saudi Arabia. This may, in fact, have been a good warning for us because it could have been much worse. You think the colonial pipeline, cyber attack, ransomware attack, you think it could have been worse? Yes, uh, much worse. I just wanna point something out to you here. You know, I come from an intelligence background, so I always look at, you know, things that a terrorist or a, uh, you know, a, a cyber actor would do. I always look at them from the position, not of the, the attacker. I look at the position of the target. And so when you think about it, I want you to think about this. How many of you have ever heard of Colonial Pipeline? None. I mean, unless you go buy an oil, you know, a, a storage tank or you see it on a road, you wouldn't think about this at all. So these players knew what the largest infrastructure in the United States was, the largest oil distribution infrastructure. That is not the sort of things that hackers sit around and think about all day. They go for low-hanging fruit where they can have maximum payoff, like computers in an MRI facility or a hospital, which would just pay up a small ransom of a few hundred thousand dollars. This is an infrastructure-wide attack on the United States, which means it'll bring national response to whoever did this. So I personally think that by going after this, this pipeline system, these people have, have, one, done us a favor by showing us that our entire infrastructure is vulnerable but two, that they had either gained this information through a nation state intelligence agency like Russia's because they are Russian and while working with the Russians because nobody over there works uh, without Vladimir Putin say so. You know, after 2016, it was, you know, it was pretty clear that the Russians were using cyber as a way to level the playing field with the U.S.'s military might, right? And so... The question is, and I know that you're not a, a fan of the former President Trump, but what is your assessment of how the Biden administration is now dealing with Putin, the president, uh, the current president at times taking a harder line against Russia, but also, you know, hoping for a better future as far as the two nations are concerned? Well, certainly any 
position that, uh, you know, the Biden administration is taking in relation to Russia is going to be a far better position than the previous administration. You know, the former president was literally beholden to Russia. And that became a clear to most analysts. Look, the people who oppose the former president are those people who believe in liberal democracy, you know, small L liberal democracy all around the world and what the United States has stood for. I'm a native Philadelphian. I take the American Constitution and the values we established very seriously. They are not mailable. Like you cannot negotiate them and apply them to some people at some times. For some bizarre, strange reason, Vladimir Putin has a hold over Donald Trump, and he essentially disarmed us for four years. There was a moment where Trump actually first insulted the U.S. intelligence community, refused to believe a word they said, then actually ordered the intelligence community to work with Russia on what he said was going to be a cyber command or a cyber liaison organization. It's laughable. They worked in his interests. They cheated. They stole American citizens' private information to elect him president of the United States. Look, I don't care whether this is Burkina Faso, Burundi, uh, you know, upper, you know, or uh, you know, uh, Papua New Guinea. If I see a threat, I'm going to call a threat out. And Russia is a strategic peer, near peer uh, adversary at this point. And uh, you know, now we're seeing they respond to America's strength when strength is shown. But if you play, you want to act like a sucker, they're going to play you like a sucker. All right. So the U.S. watching Russia's movement along the border with Ukraine, President uh, Biden, uh, at least uh, in some ways pointing to Russian cyber activity and and uh, threatening retaliation, uh, I guess. Ha- has he done enough to to uh, counter Russia's efforts, uh, especially as it relates to cyber attacks? Well, I mean, it's just the start. I mean, we're, we're, we're approximately 100 and some odd days into the administration. But we've certainly sent those signals of strength. This doesn't require us to move battleships or you know aircraft carriers or, or cruisers into the Black Sea at all. It just requires us to, to show that, one, we have a diplomatic force. Our diplomacy is now going to bring together all of our allies, which is what Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump seemed hell-bent on doing, which was the destruction of NATO uh, and, and bringing down America's alliances and going it alone. And we saw that none of that works. I mean, we established the entirety of the, you know, the Global Alliance for Democracy in World War II. I mean, we landed in Normandy with it. And it was going strong right up to the moment that Donald Trump started to dismantle it, uh, you know, in pursuit of what we could only call an axis of autocracies. That is not happening now. What's happening is we have reestablished the, you know, the order of the world, which will not allow Russia to operate unilaterally. And better, we're going after their money. And they hate it when we take their illicit stolen Russian mafia money. So that is the only way we're going to get their attention and keep them from, uh, you know, engaging in mischief around the world. Back to colonial pipeline. So, U.S. has established that, uh, in their view, this hacking group that uh, caused this disruption with the ransomware attack is somewhere likely in Russia. 
what can the U.S. do to bring them to justice? Well, you know, there's not a lot we can do if they're actually there, you know, in the in in uh, Russia itself. Um, but what we can do is make it costly on Russia by one naming the group, two identifying that we know their cyber capabilities. Listen, we have capabilities too, and uh, if you recall, uh, soon after or a year or so after the hacking of the Democratic National Committee, it the reason that the Mueller uh, investigation would manage to actually indict Russian intelligence officers was because we had the capability through one of our allies of watching them come to work on their own cameras and log into the computers with photographs of their faces. And then using human intelligence, we had their social security numbers and their place of address. And all of this was put into the indictment. So if we want to extend our capabilities and find who these individual hackers are, we have that. But if it starts costing Russia money, these individual hackers will have to deal with a power far greater than us. And that's with the uh, prevalence of walking out of windows in Russia when you displease Vladimir Putin. Malcolm Nance, thank you. It's my pleasure. Coming up, why some of the country's top cyber minds believe America doesn't have the manpower it needs to counter the cyber threat coming from Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea. Stay with us. This is America Change Forever. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Sean Planky, who was a former senior cybersecurity official in the Trump administration, penned an op-ed in which he said, if this administration is serious about cybersecurity, at a minimum, President Biden must nominate people to fill the Senate-confirmed assistant secretary roles designated to answer to the American people. Sean, what do you think about the Biden administration's approach to this cyber attack this week? I really appreciate and I like the fact that the uh, the president himself is is addressing the cyber attack um, and that he's using members of the White House to address it as well, such as Deputy National Security Advisor uh, Ann Neuberger. The gap, I think, though, is on the implementation side. Many of the assistant secretaries that are the doers at the departments and agencies that would implement actions from the White House are not in place yet and, are, frankly, are not even nominated. And I think it would make a lot more sense if now we followed up the discussions and the policies that you're seeing the White House enact with the implementation side, which means we have to get Senate-appointed assistant secretaries in place. Um, and in particular, the one that matters in this case is the assistant secretary in the Office of Cybersecurity, Energy Security, and Emergency Response at the Department of Energy. It almost feels like having covered cyber issues for the last six years, it's successive administrations that are really behind in in confronting these threats. I mean, you had the election hack in 2016. Uh, you had ransomware incidents over the last several years, and they're increasing, increasing in frequency. What would you 
want to see the government in a, in a perfect world do to challenge these threats coming from Russia, coming from China, coming from Iran, coming from North Korea? To speak to the initial part, I think I think it's definitely a, a cultural issue. We know in the previous administration and in this administration, there's been a lot of talk of the shortage in the cybersecurity workforce. And that that's just an early point indicator of showing that there's still a lack of understanding and a uh, culture change that needs to occur to to recognize how significant these threats and these cyber attacks are and what they can really do to the American economy and American economic status, which is where we derive our power, you know, as a leading nation in the world. And I think to to pivot on that, what we have to do is we have to raise the standard of care. And what I mean is the federal government has a duty of care to its people. That's why the concept of national sovereignty uh, in America exists. We we have to take care of ourselves, our people, our American citizens. And in, in that regard, from a cybersecurity perspective, that means A, that the Department of Defense needs to defend us from attacks from uh, nation states. But then on, on the more commercial front, I think it's time that we actually have a a certification process where the federal government works with cybersecurity critical infrastructure players to 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 certify that that they do have systems that are secure or have a measure of um, a boundary of protection uh, inside of them and and not only that but then certifies incident responders uh, private sector entities that are gonna that would respond and and clean up after after an incident does occur. If we look at Colonial Pipeline, and I think you've seen in the news, that Colonial um, did not contact DHS, right? So they didn't reach out to the federal entity that's responsible for asset that for asset response, right, from cybersecurity incidents. It's it's also there are some companies who've been victims of ransomware attacks who are reluctant to go public in general, right? This is this is sort of an embarrassing thing for them to have been targeted and in some cases to have paid a ransom. A lot of private sector entities still think cyber attacks are an act of God. And, and the truth is they're not. Private sector companies are targeted for a specific reason. You wouldn't leave your front door open with $1,000 sitting on your kitchen counter. We, we shouldn't expect the same thing in the cybersecurity world. China graduates more computer scientists from college every year then the United States graduates people from college. And so when we're looking at our adversary, uh, in this case, China, you know, we're vastly outnumbered. This week is a, is, a, is a critical moment where people actually can see how a cyber attack can impact their everyday lives. What I'd really think the American public needs to know and the administration needs to move on is actually putting people to implement that policy that they are writing, right? We need the Senate confirmed players at the departments and agencies to enact these these uh, solutions, these policies that will that will ultimately make America stronger. You're arguing that cybersecurity should be a part, should be considered a part of the infrastructure that needs to be bolstered and repaired. That's 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 absolutely right. We we used to talk about it's been around in cybersecurity for a couple of years now. Is how you know you start cybersecurity at the beginning. Um, you don't build a product and then try to dig a moat around it. If you build it, it's more secure if you think about it in the initial design and architecture. And we have a real opportunity to do that right now with an infrastructure bill uh, coming forward that, that will modernize you know, high-speed rail, um, you know, renewable energy sources, uh, electric vehicles, all these different things that will be highly technical in nature 
you need to put the cybersecurity in them now um, because it's much harder to defend them later without it. Sean, thank you. This is America Change Forever. Welcome back to America Change Forever. Dan Patterson is a technology reporter for CBS News, CBSN, and Money Watch. So, Dan, I wanted to talk to you because you, you know, we lean on you here at CBS News to, to help us figure out who's behind some of these uh, cyber attacks that we now cover so regularly. And I know that you've been looking into DarkSide, this hacking group that investigators believe is based somewhere in Russia. What can you tell us about them? Well, that's very kind of you to say. And honestly, I too lean on networks of experts. Uh, dark side, uh, at least according to a lot of the experts I speak with who are in the private cybersecurity community, man, many of them are um, former government analysts, uh, NSA hackers, and have expertise in um, these kind of large scale cyber attacks. Um, this group's dark side appears to be um, a ransomware as a service uh, crime operation or criminal operation. Uh, and by that, I mean ransomware as a service is kind of a euphemism for hacking mercenaries. They are a team. They rent out their talent, their tools, and their tactics, um, meaning they are uh, and they advertise themselves on the dark web as being a group of people who have expertise, uh, that's the talent and the tactics, uh, in hacking uh, networks like uh, critical infrastructure. So um, by critical infrastructure, I mean the stuff we all rely on and almost take for granted every day. Um, these are networks that run our power, our uh, water, and in this case, uh, gas and oil. Um, so a ransomware attack kind of exploits the low-hanging fruit. A lot of us are vulnerable to these types of attacks uh, because they're effective and, and they target really uh, general vulnerabilities on systems and they use phishing, which is you know sending us um, malware in links uh, to exploit uh, large-scale systems. So what this means is that this group um, rents out the ability to uh, shut down and uh, hold hostage a critical infrastructure. If if I follow here what you're saying, you know, my next question is what's in it for them or could it be they're representing someone else? They're using their tools that they've rented out uh, to help someone else achieve something by shutting down this major oil pipeline. Yeah. What we do know is that this group has advertised particular um, talents and uh, exploits. But rarely in cyber are things as they appear on the surface. Um, so we do know that many of our uh, foreign cyber adversaries, uh, including Russia, China, North Korea, Iran, and others, um, are really experts at sowing chaos, especially Russia. Um, and there is uh, some evidence that many groups like Darkseid are funded by oligarchs or friends of the Russian government um, in order to cause and sow chaos in the West. Um, 
Now, that would be a secondary or separate goal. This group does appear to be a criminal operation, and they do appear to be uh, fairly capable of uh, destructive hacks. Uh, but the motives of their clients uh, are pretty opaque. Let me backtrack. The FBI is saying that it is investigating. The president was asked the other day whether this is the work of a nation state. U.S. officials uh, say they don't know that yet. Uh, Have we ever in this country seen a ransomware attack like this? This is an unprecedented ransomware attack, but we have seen an escalation of um, attacks that are pretty destructive, uh, although smaller scale. For the last several years, since at least 2017, when NSA cyber weapons were leaked onto the dark web, um, ransomware has exploded. Um, We see a number of criminal operations exploit these tools. We do see nation states uh, use ransomware in large part because it is affordable and fairly easy to deploy. Is it the belief of law enforcement in this country that because those CIA tools uh, were released, those particular tools are now being used in some of these cyber attacks, these ransomware cases? Well, these were NSA tools uh, known to the security community as Eternal Blue. Really what they did is provide a framework that um, allowed uh, the software to be altered and changed for particular use cases. So this also meant that it evolved over a number of years and became different types of ransomware. Now, there is no evidence directly linking uh, the dark side ransomware to uh, Eternal Blue. Uh, Some of the early analysis of their code say that it, it is fairly rudimentary ransomware software with a few minor alterations and customizations. Uh, but that in itself kind of spells out the danger of ransomware that you can have groups, no matter who who backs these groups or what their alter, ulterior motives may be, you can have criminal groups alter software that is fairly destructive uh, for their own very specific purposes. It's going to be incredibly hard to stop the propagation of ransomware because you can kind of customize it uh, and as you need. Tell me about other groups that have done this in the past or do this type of thing now. Yeah, so ransomware as a service or hacking as a service seems kind of novel, but it, it's actually been around for a long time. There's a group that disbanded a few years ago, but started in the mid 2000s called simply The Hacking Team. Uh, they were an Italian group that would rent out their talent, their tools, and their tactics, uh, sometimes some to some fairly unsavory clients uh, and nation-state adversaries of the U.S. Um, what we see in groups like Darkside, there's another one called Maze, uh, Netfilm, Conti. These are all groups that uh, have at least one thing in common, and that is that they're doing the same thing the hacking team was. Uh, they're renting out their talent, their tools, and their tactics. They're kind of mercenaries, uh, hacking mercenaries, and they compete with each other in a market full of people who, uh, for whatever particular reason, want to target very high value 
uh, critical infrastructure targets. It's fairly easy to hire services like this. Um, and in fact, often we talk about dark web markets and um, with DarkSight in particular, many of their communications from dark web markets have leaked onto the internet. But Many of these groups are jumping from the dark web where it's hard to acquire a mainstream clientele to social networks, mainstream social networks, uh, where they can chat with clients in private uh, and reach a large network of uh, mainstream consumers. Uh, networks like Discord, Slack, Reddit, and others have been pretty fruitful for cybercrime operations looking for customers. And yet it's hard for law enforcement to track hackers like this down. It's incredibly hard for law enforcement to track hackers like this. Um, not only are the forensics um, often obfuscated um, using things like VPNs and Tor, um, but these are often international organizations, so you have to trace the crime across borders, which adds uh, a certain friction to investigations. Dan Patterson, thank you. This is America Change Forever. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Welcome back to America Change Forever. So you're probably not surprised to hear that there have been opportunities for government in the past to harden critical infrastructure in this country to defend against cyber attacks that can cripple so much of American society. I discussed that topic and a lot more with Eric Noonan, Chief Executive Officer for CyberSheath Services International. Eric, do you think critical infrastructure in this country has done enough to harden its systems? No, it's really largely unregulated. I mean, you can think of these as private networks, really. So there are parts of the network uh, within critical infrastructure that that are regulated, but they are they are not uh, the majority of the network. So they are largely um, underfunded, underprotected, and under compliant with any uh, regulation because regulation really doesn't exist in that uh, regard. Well, so who, who do you blame for that? Is it is it government or is it private industry that's the problem here? You know, it's a great question. And I think the uh, there's probably enough, plenty of blame to go around. It's probably uh, squarely in lobbyists and special interest court. But at the end of the day, we really have to move past the blame piece and recognize that um, it's time for regulation of private corporate networks, just like we have regulations around uh, fire standards is a, is a great example. Whether you're in a 5,000 square foot house or a 14 square foot house, you've got fire alarms, you've got rules around entry and exit, and, and there's regulation that goes into that regardless of what, how critical the infrastructure is. And so I think we need the same thing um, on our commercial networks. 
And what, what do you see as some of the critical infrastructure that is most at risk here in this kind of environment? You know, it's everything you would think of and you would, uh, you would hope to never have to think of because we depend on it so much. It's the banking system. It's the electrical grid. It's the water treatment plants across the country. It's everything that we take for granted every day. We don't, we don't think about it. It's just there and it works and it's safe. Um, and they're probably all equally vulnerable. Do you think this particular ransomware attack will change how the public views ransomware incidents, cyber attack incidents, because you see people directly affected uh, when they're just trying to get gas for their cars? It's an excellent point. This is the first time we've jumped from theoretical to actual, and it's actually, as you mentioned, impacting lives now. So there's a great chance, I think, for this to actually uh, change behavior and, and make our, you know, this is largely a bipartisan issue. Uh, one of the great things about uh, the emphasis on cybersecurity is it, it really is a bipartisan issue. So I'm hopeful because of that disruption uh, in the really kinetic effects of this, that we'll see real action from our politicians now. And it, it, it just has to be a regulated issue. We have to have minimum cybersecurity standards for, for our corporations in this country, uh, just like we do for automobile safety, for fire prevention, and for every other industry that we care about where there's a safety or a security concern, it's regulated. Cybersecurity should be no different. Eric Noonan, thank you. Thank you, Jeff. That is this week's America Change Forever. You can download previous episodes wherever you download podcasts. My thanks to Paul Woody Woodhall and District Productive. For Gil Gross, I'm Jeff Hayes, and that is how America changed forever. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to America Changed Forever ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey.